Well, hello. Welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates Donald Trump. We take an honest look at the current administration, and we talk about the threats to America, some of them serious existential threats. We'll talk a lot today about some successes in America, about the life and legacy of President George Herbert Walker Bush, a man I served as his director of national drug control policy. He was the 41st president of the United States. He was a good man, an excellent man, and a very good president, underrated. Joining me today is economist and former Reagan economic advisor, Dr. Art Laffer. He'll share his thoughts on the future of the economy, the G20 summit. I'm going to ask him about George Bush and his economic policy. Was it Art Laffer's theory that Bush called voodoo economics? We'll find out. Uh, And I also want to find out from Art what he thinks about the riots in France, about taxes in France. Also joining us today is our friend Joel Farkas. He is a director of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow at the American Strategy Group here in Washington. Today, Joel will discuss the assault on the middle class, as he puts it, due to climate-related ideology, California fire policy, and housing costs. Great themes. So, Claude, as we're doing this, uh, recording the show, and we're very candid with our audience, we tell them we right. pre-record it, they can mm-hmm. listen to it whenever they want. It's Tuesday, it's the 4th of uh, December, and it's the eve of the uh, funeral for George right. Herbert Walker Bush mm-hmm. at the National Cathedral. Uh, Mrs. Bennett and I will be attending. Yes. I was... Uh, Technically not in the cabinet, but I was cabinet level as the first director of uh, the Office of National Drug Control Policy, or as it's called, Drug Czar. Mm-hmm. I used to make the joke that the only laugh line I had in my Drug Czar job is I could refer to my wife as Zarling and our two little boys as the sardines. <laughs> 24 hour protection. Mm-hmm. Go to the beach, sit on the beach in North Carolina, and there'd be two guys in suits sitting under a beach umbrella 100 feet away, <laughs> trying not to look ostentatious. Right. <laughs> but when you're in a suit, talking into your wrists, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, I take John, little John, then for a, for a Slurpee. And, uh, you know, uh, over the 7-Eleven, he bought a Slurpee. And uh, the, the, I'd have to go with a car and a chase car and, uh-huh. you know, four guys talking into their fa- hands. Yeah. Wrists. Anyway, they were great guys. They protected me. Um, actually, we had some incidents, uh, seriousness of the drug problem. Uh, I remember I got, uh, I was getting up off the plane, regular commercial flight, um, in Phoenix. And I didn't, as I got out of the plane, didn't do the usual walkway, you know, from the plane into the, into the terminal. They grabbed me and put me down the stairs, you know, the stairs that a guy will come up when they, when they, yeah. you know, you check your personal bag, uh-huh. took me right down, right onto the tarmac and a car was waiting there for me with the light running. And before we got in the tarmac, the marshal was with me, um, wonderful guy, African-American guy named um, Hilton, terrific guy, bigger than me, big guy, said, Dr. Bennett, hit the floor, hit the ground. And he pushed me, pushed me down, got on top of me. Wow. There was apparently a a threat, a death threat on me. I had a few of them. Mm -hmm. I was drug czar. Uh, One of the reasons I was was because I was drug czar. The other reason is because we were doing our job. We were actually being effective. Right. Right. During that period, I think you've told me the audience probably is tired of hearing it, but we did get the drug drug use down in this country Mm -hmm. by pushing on all fronts. Uh, In any case, um, it was uh, it was it was a very it was a very interesting time. In any case, uh, I was honored to serve with the president. He he did a great job. I asked him to go with me to Colombia. Um, I asked him to go elsewhere, wherever um, 
I asked him to go, he went. Um, and he was very, very interested in this problem, made it a very high priority, and made me a very high priority. And that was important, because mm-hmm. I was not only responsible for kind of coordinating the efforts of the entire federal government on drugs, but uh, also the funding within each department, its drug budget, HHS's drug budget, Department oh, wow. of Defense, mm-hmm. which meant I had to interact with cabinet members. Some of these cabinet members feeling senior to me, and some were in age and in status, sure. mm-hmm. uh, often resisted when I called. And I sometimes had to call the president, say, I'm not getting cooperation from A, B, or C. He would always intervene and say, when the drugs are calls you, you call them back. It's a top priority. And um, it was he was a great boss. I've said before, and I, you know, I don't want to diminish the man on this occasion. I, I served two presidents, Ronald Reagan, I think, goes down as a better president. But George Bush is a very much underrated president. I think he's topped. I think Reagan's top three or four. Okay. I think Bush is top dozen. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and um, uh, our, I think our best one-term president, for sure. Um, I think I have. I think my history is accurate there. Tell me if I'm not, folks. Anyway, um, the funerals tomorrow, we're honored to be there. Uh, I'm delighted that President Trump is coming and Mrs. Trump. Um, he said some tough things about the Bushes, particularly Jeb, low energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and the Bushes have said some very tough things about him. <laughs> They're also going to have some social get-together, but I'm delighted that's happening. Let me tell you, my only worry, uh, fear, anxiety, Claude, is that um, somebody will use it as an occasion to bash the Trumps. I don't think uh, George W. will. He's speaking. I don't think Alan Simpson will. He's speaking. Right. I'm a little worried about John Meacham, who's a biographer, very close to the Bush family, writes good history books, but is, uh, makes daily appearances on the uh, uh, Morning Joe show bashing Trump. Okay. Yeah. And I sure hope he doesn't. You remember there was a bit of a discordant, more than a discordant note at the McCain funeral. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, was, yeah. it was occasion for it was almost a target one or two messaging. people yeah. to trash Trump. Mm-hmm. So I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, the other thing I'm noticing, and, you know, it's, it's, it's an old theme for us uh, conservatives or a familiar theme, is the media. You know, they're now celebrating George Herbert Walker Bush. They love him. They love him. <laughs> Couldn't Can't get enough of him now. And it's just like McCain, who they criticized for being too right wing, loving right. guns, loving the military, pro-life. Now, George Herbert Walker Bush is just the greatest thing in the world. Right. Yeah. Well, I always said I thought he was a great man, but they called him a wimp. Mm-hmm. Cover of Newsweek, uh, Evan Thomas was the Washington editor, I think. I knew him. He was an undergraduate at Harvard when I was there. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, you know, they wrote in Wimp. And he saw, he wrote, he wrote today or yesterday, I'm so sorry I called him a Wimp. He was not a Wimp. Well, damage already done. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, damage already done. The Wimp factor, uh, you know, that kind of notion about Bush plus Perot cost George Bush re-election uh, in 92. And he lost to Bill Clinton, of course. Uh, and I will say this in, in all candor, because we'll, we'll, folks will hear this after the funeral. Sure. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I, I still do not understand the friendship between uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, the Bush family, and Bill Clinton. I mean, they uh, he savaged the Bush family. And um, what did Bush call him? My brother, Clinton, by another mother, something right, like that. Mm-hmm. And I just, why he wanted to hang around with the Clintons, I don't know. I guess we'll see them. Mrs. Ben and I will see them. Yeah, they'll be there. That'll be a touching yeah. a re- reunion. <laughs> 
anyway, uh, it'll be something. It'll be something. And uh, well, maybe we'll maybe we'll do a quick phone call afterwards. Yeah, I think we should. Do, yeah, no, that? absolutely. We should do that and uh, and add it to the um, to the podcast. Okay, yeah, just to kind of okay. get your thoughts okay. on okay. it. Okay, I, I got so many interviews, so many things. I got. You've got a lot lined up. A lot of people. Will you remember to, to call me sure, or write absolutely. me right after the funeral? And absolutely. Say, and, say, and we'll add it to this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. But you've been getting a lot of media requests. Ton from, of media from folks uh, for stories and, and, and reflections and things like that. And I wrote a piece mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for FoxNews.com. You can put a link up. To sure, it, we'll put it on the right? Facebook page and, and on Twitter. Uh, told some stories there, but but talked about the man. And um, yeah, this was a man in full. This was a cosmopolitan man. It's been said maybe the best training resume training for for the job. Mm-hmm. Best, you know, when he organized that first Gulf War, it was it was great. I mean, 37 nations participated, and that was the shock and awe campaign. I wish they'd gone on to Baghdad. You know, mm-hmm. that was a criticism I had. But um, they did a great job. The military did a great job. And he was much beloved. He was a military man himself. Remember, this right. guy, right. you know, well-born, could have gone on right to Yale, but instead enrolled, joined the military, became a Navy flyer, floating around the Pacific, getting close to that island with Japanese rumored to, you know, be cannibalistic and other things. Horrible, horrible fate could have uh, overcome him but uh, was picked up by a submarine spotted him you know submarine picked him up and he came home uh, a real a real hero and it was an honor to know him and he was just the most pleasant guy amiable guy and um, we traveled and we had uh, we had an adult beverage together on air force one he He'd say, uh, you know, I think the, I think the czar might want a cocktail, legal, illegal, you know, illegal cocktail. You know. And uh, since the czar is doing it, I'll I'll join with him. There you go. And we'd relax and talk. We had breakfasts yeah. uh, often at the White House in what I'm sorry to say became known later as the Monica Lewinsky room oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. off the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. I, you know, too bad. Just a tidy little office, very private office. But uh, I would go there and President would uh, bring breakfast in for me and for him. And we talk about stuff, but he was very interested in it. We also jogged a lot. When we traveled, he'd say, Bill, let's jog. I do remember a few of those stories, yeah. And, uh, of course, the funny thing is he'd say, fill me in on the drug war. And I'd say, I can either fill you in on the drug war or jog at close <laughs> to your pace. I can't do both. Here's a man 20 years my senior. And he had to slow down for me. Yeah, you know? yeah. But uh, the story I tell, the most moving, was in Portland, Oregon. And uh, we were supposed to jog early. It was dark. We were dedicating a police memorial. And um, I came to his room at the appointed hour, 530. And he said, sorry, we can't go. Secret Service called it off. There's a demonstration out there. And we looked out in the street, and there were a lot of demonstrators. But um, one thing stood out. Somebody was burning the American flag. And I, I stood next to the president as he stared out the window. And he said, you know, that really gets to me. Hmm. If, if those people, young people even respectful of them calling them these young people these young ladies and gentlemen i right. would have called them something i wouldn't else. have called them that <laughs> knew how much people have sacrificed to keep that flag safe and secure and upright right they wouldn't be doing it it really burns me mm. and it was just a matter of, of simple eloquence from his, his his mouth his words and you know he was accused by the media of not being able to talk well he spoke very well on that occasion Right. Spoke right to the point. So you'll be at the uh, funeral with uh, former presidents, Prince Charles, lots of dignitaries there. What else is going on this week for you? Well, the day after I go to Holy Trinity School, elementary school mm-hmm. in uh, in D.C., where my nephew, nephews go. Okay. Uncle Bob's uh, grandchildren, my grandnephews, Uncle okay. Bob's grandchildren, mm-hmm. Bobby and Lido. And um, 
they uh, they are there, and I've been asked by Lido, who's in kindergarten, to come and read a story from the Children's Book of Heroes. Really? And so I accepted. Mrs. Bennett is going with me. So it will not just be a simple reading of a story. Mrs. Bennett is getting some <laughs> rope and some you know other <laughs> props. And we're going to read the, the Hero of Indian Cliff. Okay. About one brother saving another on yes. you know with a, with rope mm-hmm. on, on the cliff. And I will, you know, all I did was write the book and the story, but I will now do what I'm told by Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> and uh, I look forward, to, uh, I look forward to doing it. I'm also, I'm going to this nice Catholic school in D.C., right there in the Georgetown area, tucked away uh, on uh, December 6th, Thursday, which is the Feast of St. Nicholas. Well, look at that. Does so, it have anything to do with the, the new book? Uh, well, it has everything to do with the new book, <laughs> uh, The True St. Nicholas, Why It Matters to Christmas. Uh, it's moving along. It's selling. People are buying mm-hmm. it. It's a little book. It's a good stocking stuffer. And it's the true story of St. Nicholas. We're starting our reading of the book this weekend. Are you? Yes. With Manny. Yes. Me, Sierra, Manny. We're going to sit down in the living room, break it down into smaller bites. and Let me know what parts he likes. Okay. 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 Sure. Because, you know, kids focus on things we don't necessarily focus on. Right. So I'm going to I'm going to mention the book. I, I can't interfere with the stage production. Mrs. Bennett will put on <laughs> Hero of Indian Cliff right. while I'm trying to sell St. <laughs> Nicholas book. But, but she's in charge. So I will, you know, take direction. Right. Um, and, uh, but I will, I will, uh, the, the teacher there, Mrs. Kelly actually said that, um, they normally do celebrate the feast of St. Nicholas and kids put little gifts in, um, and, and little, uh, compartments for parents, for each other, for oh, great. poor children. Yeah. We'll find out more about that. So I'll be, I'll be looking forward to doing that. I'll be a different audience, five-year-olds, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, than the audience at the funeral. Sure. But, uh, but it'll be a nice change of pace. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Let's welcome Dr. Art Laffer to the show. He's an economist and former Reagan economic advisor. Art, welcome to the show. Well, how are you doing? Good, good. I'm such a big fan. I should write you weekly or monthly or anyway, but we watch you. And well, you're the only you. radio show I do. Well, thank you. I'll never forget a conversation you had with my son. At, at Bill Buckley's house. At yes. Bill Buckley's house. You remember that conversation? I, remember that. I do remember. We're not well, going to repeat it. Had. We're not going to repeat it because it was not to my benefit. No, no, it wasn't. It was very fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Oh, he felt great, man. He felt famous. You know, he talked to our laughter. Hey, listen, I just got an invitation. I want to talk to you about economics and Bush and all that, but uh, and France. But I just got an invitation to a book party next week. Trumponomics. Yes. You and uh, Steve Moore. Yes. Tell us, tell me, tell us about the book for a minute. I don't know much about it. Uh, they're all done back in New York and Washington. I'm out here in Nashville, Tennessee, but it's a book party. And with no, no, I don't mean the those. party. I don't care about that. Tell me about the book. Oh, the book is uh, Steve and Larry had a series of relationships with Trump. Uh, that they yep. always went to together. Yep. I had a lot of my personal relationships with Trump, which were as many, uh, if not more so, but we then brought our notes together. You know, we work as a team, and I've never found it valuable for the three of us to be in there in any meeting. It just is redundant. It makes no sense. Okay. So what this book is, is this book is primarily Steve's recollections of all the meetings and all the discussions and all that stuff. And then I went through and added in my stuff as well in there to the extent I can. It's really well written. Steve did a beautiful job on writing it. It's just great prose, great read. Great, um, great. And that means I didn't write it. Uh, but <laughs> we both had... 
we both had a lot of contacts with with Trump during the uh, primaries, during the election, and afterwards, and uh, it was great fun. Will you be at the book party at the Trump Hotel? I, there's a very good chance I will be. Well, I, then, but you know, I'm 78, and uh, I know, I know. If, if I'm not doing anything else that day, I won't be. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I've got something else I'm doing and can make it happen, I'll be there. I've got something the next day. I'm I'm doing the IMF retreat the next day. Oh wow! Which is in in Middleburg, uh, Virginia. Well, uh, with just uh, Christine Lagarde and her deputies wow. and the which is. There are 50 of them total for the whole wow. afternoon and then evening. Well, you know, as Jesse Jackson would say, you are somebody. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Anyway, <laughs> right. Well, we've known that. Well, you know, they're, they're the arch enemy in the nicest of senses. They are the statist people of the planet. They, I did the OECD one in Paris, did the keynote there, and, you know, everything I said they hate, but they do like me. Oh, they should. They absolutely should. Let's talk but, about you know, France, because uh, they're rioting. Let's talk about France. Let's are they rioting in France. the streets because of taxes? Europe. And let's talk about George H.W. Uh, Bush. I, you know, uh, I'd love to. I, uh, this, all this stuff that's coming out is, is really not very accurate and not very correct. Uh, tell, uh, tell me why. Well, first place, the tax cut stuff was, you know, is not discussed. Read my, you know, the first one is voodoo economics, which he singled me out with Reagan. That was the there, and then we did it. Uh, I then endorsed him in 1988 uh, at the president's request and to run, and he ran and he won. I did the front page of the Manchester Union Leader when Bob Dole announced in Man- in Manchester. But, but wait a so, minute, when he when he said voodoo economics, that was aimed at you. That it was specifically I was named. Right, because you have an economist out there named Art. Who's not even sure it's going to work? <laughs> well, how does anyone? Right. Are you sure all these things are going to come true? Of course not. All right. It's about the future. I'm really sure about the past, Bill. Right. I understand. I'm really no, solid on the past. But it's this the was that I, this was which campaign? Uh, 1980. 1980. And of course, Reagan defeated him. Uh, yeah. Then and then Bush. To tell us about Bush tax policy. Whatever. Oh no, I don't want to be critical. It's just that just all this. Sam Donaldson said now says now. Then he was right with me and all of that. At the convention uh, in 88, you know, I was sitting there. I was delegate named from California by Vice President Bush. I toured uh, uh, New Hampshire with John Sununu. Sure, and, sure. And uh, we, uh, we got Mrs. Loeb to do give me the front page of the paper. She sure. threw away her endorsement to, for Pete DuPont, as you may remember, yep. so that it didn't go to Bob Dole. So we cleaned up in New Hampshire. It all worked and everything. And then he raised, you know, then he raised taxes, uh, as you remember, and that led to the uh, and it was a very responsible move of him to do that. We had a fiscal situation. And it all was that. a responsible move. No, it was not. It was not. Our growth rate dropped dramatically and tax revenues declined sharply. Okay. Okay. But other than that, it was really responsible. No, no, it was a mistake. <laughs> Big mistake. Right? But it was a, a political mistake and an economic mistake. I mean, it was. But I've got all sorts of stories on that because I. You know, of the, of the two of his four famous quotes, there two of them are on me. Uh, one of them is voodoo economist, voodoo economics, and the other one is read my lips, no new taxes. And then those two bracket the other two, which is the uh, 1,000 points of light, and then the kinder, gentler. Right. Now, they were all three in the final acceptance speech in 1988. All three of those last ones were. The wow. voodoo econ- economics one was in the, I think it was in the, uh, I think it was in the Pennsylvania primary. He went after Reagan's tax right. cuts. Right. Okay. Big mistake. <laughs> but I had some well, nice interchanges with him. And oh, I know. He was a fine, fine man. Absolutely. Let me tell you something maybe you don't know. This is me in the same boat um, with you. And I'm no tax expert. That's why I, you know, I, I seek your guidance. But um, 
I figured it was this was a mistake when he did raise taxes. You may not know, but I was asked to be uh, chairman of the Republican National Committee. Uh, in the, in oh, I didn't the, know that. Yeah, in the later uh, last year or two years of uh, of the Bush administration, and I was you know serving as as drug czar. I had served as drug czar, and then um, after I left, I was you know out about four or five months, and then Sununu called me and asked if I'd do it. And I said, yeah. Well, I said, but we need to talk. And there was a big meeting, evening meeting, downtown hotel. And Sununu was there, Dick Darwin was there, others were there. And they said, how do you feel defending President Bush? And I said, I feel fine. I love the man. I admire the man. I said, I'm not going to defend the tax increase, though. And they looked and they said, well, you have to. If you're chairman of RNC, you have to defend everything. I said, look, if that's the job definition, then I shouldn't take it because I'm happy to defend the man in the totality of his actions, but I can't defend this. And I remember one person said it was just a campaign promise. Man, I hated to hear that. Talk about it. Yeah, but that's what they that's what they finally thought was their problem. Right. The problem was not the campaign promise. The problem was not doing living up to it. That was well, I said this wasn't just a campaign promise. This was the campaign. This was yeah. like, you know, the wall for Trump. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, it was a big t- deal. Anyway, uh, we agreed around the table. I wasn't the right guy for the job if I wasn't going to defend him on that. Good I said, you. in good, good conscience, I couldn't do it as a disciple of Art Laffer. But anyway, that, well, yeah, I admire that. that. But on the on the economic side, was that a disaster? Well, I, I don't put it as a disaster, an economic disaster. I put it as a as a, a, a real economic shot that cost him the election. It did it cost the economy billions of dollars in tax revenues and economic growth. It was just the wrong thing to do, and what it really did was was it laid bare the twenty eight percent was not a this is where I stand and I'll never wiggle again. Was it was once it? He did it. Then Clinton then Clinton raised it from there to, to you know to seven percent, yeah. and you know and that was. Ugh. I said earlier in the show that I thought the two reasons he lost were that and Perot being in it, siphoning off 19 percent, most of which well, I, I think, think he lost also because of uh, Clinton being in the race. You do. He was so popular. No, I'm joking. Oh, and without any opponents, he would have won. OK. You know, you, 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 I, I find that we had a problem in uh, 1980, if you'll remember, with a guy named John Anderson. You bet. It didn't stop us. That's right. That's we right. got 51 percent of the vote. Carter got 42 and John Anderson got seven. But Clinton was lighting it up on their side. People loved him. Well, Clinton's a very attractive guy, but, you know. No, he's uh, not. They, they all are until they lose. Well, it's not so attractive today anymore. Well, yeah, and I, this is, I, I, I said earlier in my monologue, This is, you, you explained to me, this is part of the Bush I don't understand, is this the adopting of uh, Bill Clinton. You know, this is my brother. Well, you do brother. understand it. Where'd you go to undergraduate? Williams no. College. Oh, Williams. Well, I'm a Yaley, and Bush is a Yaley. I now. went to Harvard I'm Law important. School. Does that help? Well, that may, because to, to a guy, to a guy like Bush, you know, you got to. There is no right, there is no wrong. You got to put yourself in the other guy's shoes oh, it's, yeah. and feel his pain yeah, and all that. Yeah. And that's the Yale model. I mean, I remember Griswold saying in my freshman class, he said, "You know, communist countries need leaders. Might as well be a Yaley. Oh Capitalist God. companies need leaders. Might as well be a Yaley. We're here to create leaders, not yeah. ideologues. Yeah. And there is no right and wrong in th- that education. Yeah. And, of course, in this world we live in, as you know more than anyone, there is right and there yeah. is wrong. Sure. sure. But uh, when we look, uh, Oedipus at Colonus' uh, uh, speech by uh, by one of the prophets or seers says, uh, take, to- take a man in the totality of his actions. If we take... Uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, the totality of his actions. 
I think he's an underrated president. Well, I, I don't think he's an underrated president. I think uh, I think he he was the best vice president the United States has ever had. Reagan loved him and asked me to endorse him and support him in the primary of '88, which I did, even though Jack Kemp was an usher in my wedding, you bet. even though Pete Dupont, I did all that. Yep. Reagan personally asked, pulled me aside and said, I need you to, and I need you to do George. He's done a great job. And he had done a great job. He was the best vice president. He was just one of those guys I don't think should have become president. And is it I mainly because like Carter? Mainly because of the tax stuff or other things too? Well, no, I mean, he, he, he wasn't a firm person. He, he listened to 50 different pop views uh-huh. and then flipped a coin or made him, made up his mind. He, he didn't go in there with a set of principles and a set of guiding lights that, that allowed you to, to make a decision. Do you, you give the, the Berlin, the fall of the Berlin Wall, you give... That 90, was all Reagan. That's all you're, I was going to say, all or 90%. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Now, he did do a very good technical job of, uh, of extricating the world through that whole process and making it come out right. He did a great job. I mean, that was a, that was a very dangerous period with all these countries and all the stuff happening. And, and he did execute that crooked road path that made it come out right. Yeah. It could have come out wrong. Yeah. And he yeah. did a great job, and I thought he did a great job on the on the Gulf War. Yeah. But you know, Margaret Thatcher, before she was removed as prime minister, told me she didn't think he was going to pull the trigger. Yeah. You know, there was a great deal of doubt, and she told me personally that if he didn't pull the trigger, she'd give the command to some of her troops there, and they'd just start the thing. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. And then she was removed as prime minister. He did start it, yeah, but, was, but he wasn't was her- clear. What was her great phrase about her worry not to go, don't go wobbly, right? Don't go wobbly on me now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she called George Bush wobbly. T- take a last couple minutes, uh, Art. Great to have you with us, and we thank you. It's nice to be here. Uh, Thanks, t- Bill. Tell us, tell us about France, what they're doing. What, what, is, well, the, what, is, the, uh, what is the protest about over there? Well, the protest is about taxes, is about the EU, is about the whole problem of France and the way it's going. And they found a focal point where everyone can come in and, and come and start screaming and hollering. Uh, my freshman year at Yale, it was a snowball riot uh, and the police parade through through uh, New Haven, right through the campus. And this is a, a perfect example of a of a point, a gas tax increase, right there in the middle of this, as if things aren't hard enough. And that just focal uh, gave the focal point to the French that they're very unhappy, just like all the other countries. Okay. And I would guess that if they had a vote in their country, they would have Frexit. Got it. All right. If there are protests, I think there's a real problem with the EU, and in the next ten years, I'd be really surprised if if uh, it's still anything like it looks today. Wow. Really. Wow. So, if there are protests in America, it won't be because Donald Trump changed his mind and raised taxes. Correct. Oh, that that would cause a problem. That wouldn't happen, though, would it? I don't think that's what he's going to do, but right. <laughs> that would be a problem. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a problem. Excuse for... me, that that corporate tax bill, I didn't like it after all. Let's go back up to 35% and have yeah, no, no expense. I know, I know, yeah. I don't think yeah, that would work yeah, for him. Yeah, yeah. All right, listen, Art, thank you very much, and uh, happy My holidays, pleasure, Merry Bill. Christmas, whatever. Merry Christmas to you and your family. And I hope to see you at the Trumponomics book party. You well, are the I co-author. will be there. Huh? Yeah, I know, I know, but it's, you know, traveling just for a book party when you're 78 is not really attractive. But it's your book. <laughs> that <laughs> may be true. That may be true. But still, if it were my book, I'd understand you not coming, and I'd understand well, me that, not that's coming. For sure, that's for sure, Bill. <laughs> but Steve is very competent in handling it. Of course he is. But you got to go to Middleburg anyway, don't you, Middleburg? 
Middleburg, yes. But that's the next day in the evening. Well, so come a day early. Go to your I park. might. I, I tell you, the chances are I'll be there. Okay. All right. I'm Thank not, you. Uh, I'm not saying no, but I... Uh, but I do guide my travel a lot. I travel way too much. I know. I know. So it's uh, the book is called Trumponomics, available next week or now? Oh, it's available right now. Right now. Trump Trump tweeted, did you see Trump's tweet on it? No. Goodness, I'll get it. Oh, we'll get your guy to look it up on the on the, on the internet there. And uh, Trump's tweet about uh, Trumponomics. Well, we will and add. Steve Moore and Art Laffer, you'll let them. that might be a fun intro. We will add to it. We will make that part of the intro. Thank you, Art. My pleasure, Bill. God bless you. Thank you. Bye bye. You too. Bye. So uh, we just concluded the interview uh-huh. with, uh, with Art, and lo and behold, what's the Trump tweet? Uh, so here's the tweet. He says, uh, "Steve, uh, Stephen Moore, and Art Laffer, uh, two very talented men, have just completed an incredible book on my economic policies, or as they call it, Trumponomics. Well, hashtag Trumponomics." You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. It's time to catch up with Joel Farkas, a director of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow at the American Strategy Group here in Washington. Joel, welcome back to the show. Hi, hi, Bill. How are you? I'm all right. We are talking on the eve of the Bush funeral. Goodness gracious, uh, this event is going to be huge. I just heard that Prince Charles is coming. President Trump will be there with Melania. I guess Bill, Bill and Hillary Clinton, that'll be a touchy reunion for me and Mrs. Bennett. Remember, I wrote the book, The Death of Outrage, about him. Anyway. Um, I do. I do. But uh, thoughts on the funeral. I have my own thoughts and worries, and I'm kind of shaking my head about a couple of things. I, he's a really good man, an underrated president, uh, made mistakes like the tax increase. I think uh, we just talked to Art Laffer about that. But a good, a good man. Very good man. I'm glad you're speaking about him and honoring him because uh, you knew him, you you worked with him, and thankfully, as opposed to some others, you, you actually know what you're talking about when you speak about President Bush. It's nice to hear your thoughts because uh, some of these other thoughts are just uh, between, they range between hysterical and disgusting. You know, the fake news seems to me... The, the great phrase of Donald Trump's needs to be expanded to take in fake commentary, fake penance, fake reconsideration. I was just reading Evan Thomas, who was then the, the Washington editor of Newsweek in 87. Uh, the cover of Newsweek said, uh, you know, trying to overcome the wimp factor. You remember that? The wimp factor. Yeah, right. Yes, is, I do. I, and I, 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 knew, I knew Evan Thomas as an under, when he was an undergraduate at Harvard and I was teaching there. Uh, George Herbert Walker Bush was not a wimp. He uh, was a flyer in the Navy. <laughs> he had, I don't know, 40 missions. Shot down in the Pacific. More than 50, I believe. 50, more than 58 50. Or okay, 58. Oh, you remember it better than I, or you? You recall it better than I. I mean, and now, so, but let me just finish. So now Thomas writes two days ago. Well, I wrote that. I was wrong. Sorry. Well, you know, damage was done. Damage was done. That was a serious hit. And the wimp factor was played up on the, on the TV shows and other columns and the chattering classes. And it hurt him. And it, you know, probably affected the chances for his reelection in 92. You get to be ignorant 30 years ago and we're still talking about it. And all you say is, I was wrong. There's something wrong with saying something so damaging, so devastating, so wrong. And there's no penance. There's no repercussions. You get to just say, I was wrong. Um, yeah, he was wrong. He was very wrong. Um, you know, we're seeing uh, President Clinton pulled out the, the, the wonderful touching note that uh, President Bush left him and it defeated him in that election. And uh, I, I, I hear and I read so many people saying, oh, you need to hearken back to that time. 
tough campaign, tough defeat. Everyone looks back and says, Where the, where's the day that uh, people honor the office office of the presidency, regardless of the campaign? Well, you know, I wish, I wish President Clinton would have advised his spouse to do the same thing. Uh, either he advised her or he didn't, or maybe advised her and she didn't listen to him, but I wish he would have done that because uh, she showed no such class, no such humility to our current president. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's all this hearkening back, as you say, oh, it was a better time, and maybe we can go back. Of course, this is all all, all direct or indirect swipe at Donald Trump. We should go back to the days when, you know, presidents were like this. You know, but one one thing we can say we we don't we don't have to hearken back to the day when the media was fair because they were no. unfair to Bush and they were unfair to Reagan and uh, they're sure as hell unfair to Donald Trump like nothing I've ever seen. This uh, this hearkening back by people who have this phony sincerity says more about them than it does about President Bush. It says that they like to remember things that fit in with what they believe. Yep. A couple of things. I mean, President Bush nominated Clarence Thomas. That wasn't so easy. He lost to a fellow who didn't win the popular vote. I mean, President Clinton won 44% of the vote. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things happened back then. That, uh, I don't recall how the, the country was together and, and admiring the patriot, the, the warrior, the right. compassionate the president. I don't recall that when, when, when I was uh, around at that time. It's just phony sincerity. Yeah. Phony sincerity, and, and as you just said, a, a misreading of, of history. It's not an accurate reporting of history. Not accurate. Right. Not accurate. Right. Not at all. Tell us about, let's come up to date. Tell us about, this was, This this needs to be unpacked. Sounds like a small issue. It's actually a big issue. California, climate-related ideology, and state law protections for utilities. What's going on here? We've had... Uh, a lot of progressive liberals, including uh, not-so-progressive liberals, Governor Jerry Brown, screeching at our current president because of climate policies and climate policies being uh, his climate policies being the cause of these rampant forest fires in California and other kinds of fires, brush fires. Another bit of extremely inaccurate reporting, the uh, president basically said to the state, uh, hold on a second, you have have had a history of really bad forest management policies. There's some other things going on, too. We've also had, California has had a history, a very recent history, of knowing a lot of the actual causes of these forest fires or these other brush fires. Uh, And those causes have to do with state utilities, Pacific Gas and Electric, San Diego Gas and Electric, Southern California Edison. Um, People might not have uh, seen this, probably did not see this, but in the last couple of weeks, Pacific Gas and Electric stock plummeted, just absolutely plummeted, plummeted almost 50%. Why did that happen? Two big reasons. One is uh, the, the, the state commission, California State Commission, has has identified that this is we're talking about last year, not this year, but last year's set of forest fires, PG&E uh, equipment and power lines and and improper maintenance uh, procedures are the cause of 17 more than 17 of the fires last year, 2017. What triggered the plummet? Well, a couple of weeks ago, PG&E Pacific Gas and Electric filed what's called a, a, a an electric incident report. 
just before the most recent campfires. That incident report is something that a, a utility files when they see a, a dramatic change in their in their power grid just before some event. And that some event was this big fire. Now, no one's investigated it yet. No one's proved it yet. But that's normally the precursor of yet another reason why a fire may have happened. Well, it is just ridiculous that we have to, every time there's a fire, we have to say climate change is the cause. Man is the cause of, you know, the man-made usage of fossil fuels is the cause of something. Um, it's nonsense. Um, the governor of California knows it's nonsense, which is why he recently got two new Senate bills passed in the state legislature to try to protect and help the state utilities from going bankrupt because of their liability for causing forest fires. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He knows it, and that's proof of it. But is his rhetoric always there? His rhetoric doesn't change. Rarely changes. Um, and um, I mean, but it's not even—it's not even just the, the the governor of California. Good grief! This has gone back to the '90s when uh, President Clinton, Environmental Protection Agency, basically got uh, the, the equivalent of a ban on logging in uh, the United States, in particular California. And does anyone remember the spotted owl? To protect the spotted owl was the premise to ban logging, which means we have forests that have substantially double, triple the number of trees per acre than we did um, 100 years ago. This is not something that the Western states aren't unaware of. There's something called the Western Governors Association. Uh, More than a decade ago, they issued a report. Uh, There's a a bipartisan report that the lack of being able to get uh, rid of a brush, to get rid of, uh, uh, that's clear cutting, but select cutting of logs is creating a tinderbox in the Western states uh, forests. You know, California has all these other, they have other state laws that, you know, people say, well, how come someone's living near this and they're not maintaining their property? Well, a property owner in California, it's actually illegal. They have to get a permit. It's illegal for them to cut down trees uh, over a certain diameter. Um, they can barely remove their brush. It's just on a series property, of costs. On their own property. On their own property. And the governor, Governor Brown, is now proposing to the state legislature in California to relax those provisions for property owners to be able to cut down trees more than more than two feet in diameter in their own property to to give them a way to maintain their properties. I mean, it's just there is the state of California and the, and the state legislature passes and has passed all of these uh, 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 regulations and rules and laws to preclude a property owner from doing a darn thing on their property. Now, if, and then the last thing, if you want to get rid of some brush, one way to get rid of brush is people have controlled burns. Well, if you have a, uh, an Air Quality Act that has been passed, then you can't even do that. And that's one of the reasons why burning or controlled burns of forests and brush is also almost impossible in California because of air quality restrictions. Unbelievable. Um, we don't have enough time uh, today to go through the litany of reasons why you cannot properly manage a forest. And what that ultimately ends up to be is suppressing natural uh, occurring fires. Right. Um, right. Let's talk about, uh, we have limited time this morning, Joel, and I apologize for it. Uh, light of the Bush funeral and all we're, you know, we're, we're, we're doing a lot of things today, uh, on this yes, yes, the funeral. Yes. You understand, it's but it's extremely important. And I'm so happy that you're, you're involved, but let's, uh, 
let's talk about other fires uh, burning in Paris. You were the guy who told us, uh, you know, flattery is the best form of imitation. Way back when, after Macron was elected, you, you were there and you said, hey, Macron's imitating Trump. Uh, not at the moment, I gather. And this is what the riots are about, hey? He is changed. Well, change is really not the right word. He, he is, uh, he's tried to foist upon the French people his words, uh, ecological transition. What is that? Uh, it is a, a term of art that he repeats that uh, the French people are going to assist with climate change. And how are they going to do that? Well, we're gonna, he's going to tax the French people more, so they pay more, they'll use less fuel. In America, I think we realize what the French people pay for gas. They pay about a dollar seventy per liter. What that means on a per gallon basis, it's about seven dollars a gallon. Yeah, I, I heard that. Yes. If you live in Paris, you can take the, your bike to work. Anybody else who lives outside of the major cities of France, they have to drive. They have to drive uh, somewhere to mm-hmm. do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every single one of those people are getting hit and getting hurt economically because even though they're now paying $7 a gallon, President Macron to, to uh, placate his, uh, the environmental movement of people in, in France has raised taxes again. More about fifteen percent. He said he's going to continue to do that. He raised it on diesel. He's going to continue to do that because the French people need to be part of the ecological transition oh, required man. by the world. All the while, all the while, while Total, the French oil and gas company, is signing deals along with President Macron joined them, signing deals with Vladimir Putin to drill in the Arctic for. Uh, for, for, for gas to create liquefied natural gas. And they're all over the world. Total is all over the world to try to be one of the larger gas producers. Huh. There's no wonder why the middle class and working people of France uh, aren't very happy. It's interesting. Middle class, you just said the middle class in Paris, France, and the, and we've talked a lot about the middle class in California. There's a, there's a kindred sentiment for kindred reasons, isn't there? Yes, in the middle class doesn't have doesn't have representation in the world uh, except for President Trump but in general the middle class doesn't have much representation yeah very interesting Joel we need to leave it there uh, and uh, again sorry for the abbreviated nature but we'll, we'll have you back soon and uh, thank you so much we thank you this is uh, we're gonna invite uh, people to uh, email us on this uh, because uh, you know as you know I've told you many times we get a lot of responses to your conversation about California a lot of people out there are still worried that the future of America is is, uh, is being revealed in the state of California some of us hope not eh yes. Okay. Oh, uh, it probably is. Uh, we have something. We now know what it looks like when we say what we say. Yeah. We know what the results look like. <laughs> we now, yeah. This has been the crucible. This has been the crucial experiment. Now that we know what the result is, let's go another way, right? Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Bill, I, I, I really, have, I just have to tell you, thank you for everything you're you're doing to honor President Bush. You are you welcome, know as much sir. as anyone. You are you know welcome, as much sir. as anyone. What a great, great man he he was. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Joel. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. So as promised, uh, Bill, you were at the funeral, you attended, and you were going to share your thoughts. I've been to a lot of funerals. Um, I guess as you get older, we've all been to a lot of funerals. <laughs> you get to go more and more. But this was among the best. Uh, 
extremely high-minded, gracious, mm-hmm. dignified. Uh, let me just get one thing out of the way. Uh, I'm worried that somebody might take a real swipe at Trump, uh, President Trump, but no one did. Uh, he was there, saw him come in with the First Lady. Um, five presidents were present. Uh, President Trump, uh, President Obama, uh, George W. Bush, uh, Clinton, and Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. So really quite a lot of them. They were about... 50, 60 feet away. Uh, I'll give you some celebrity spotting, you know, uh, if you want. <laughs> but uh, ceremony, first of all, was was really quite excellent. Four very good speak uh, speeches, uh, tributes. Uh, the first one by uh, John Meacham, whose work is good, historical work is good. I don't like him on Morning Joe, mm-hmm. where he uh, gets into Trump bashing. And I, we talked a little bit about that on the bus. He was in the cabinet bus on the way over. Oh. And uh, I said, I, I do see you on Morning Joe. He said, oh, you watch Morning Joe? I said, yeah. He said, I'm surprised. I said, that's what I call opposition research. (laughs) Uh, uh, But um, he said, well, he said, I guess you don't agree. I said, no, I don't. He said, well, some things are said are true. I said, some things are said are true. A lot of said is not true. But it was perfectly pleasant. And he gave a very good talk. I was struck, Claude, by how two or three, yeah, three of the tributes, and they each had no more than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Maybe George W. Bush took 15. Referenced, uh, there's a lot to talk about in George Herbert Walker Bush's life. Three of them referenced his uh, time as a naval aviator mm-hmm. in World War II when he, you know, from a wealthy family, could have gone to Yale. Instead, he joined the military uh, as a naval aviator, uh, shot down in um, Pacific, uh, and uh, floated there on a raft until he, a submarine um, rescued him. And Meacham had a nice turn of phrase. He said uh, the beginning uh, for George W. H. W. Bush was almost the end, mm. um, almost the end of his life. But it wasn't the end of his life. And then he went on to have this very distinguished career. But uh, it's interesting the way in which military service is now, if you will, back in fashion uh, to be respected and referenced. Brian Mulroney, former Prime Minister of Canada, mm-hmm. uh, referenced it as did um, George W. Bush. Yeah, if you don't mind me interrupting, you know, the prime, the former prime minister of Canada had a great line where he says, you know, um, what I was doing at 20. And then he states what he was doing. He says what yeah. President George H.W. Bush was doing at 20. You know, he was flying jets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was uh, working and uh, trying to pay get his way back into law school. And George mm-hmm. Bush was uh, over there in Sloan in the Pacific. Yeah. I talked to Mulroney afterwards. He came up to me. I didn't come up to him. He came up to me. Apparently, he watches Fox. And I said, so they let Fox through? They let Signal through in Canada? <laughs> he said, well, yeah, if not, we do, you know, these press secret receivers. We get it. But uh, he uh, he was he was, he was good and eloquent and had that wonderful accent. I thought that uh, Alan Simpson was great. I, I've always liked Alan Simpson, senator from Wyoming. I've known him for a long time. We chatted a lot on the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had one bus for the cabinet, and we all rode together. Like yeah, I was going to ask that. So, so they had a bus for cabinet members. Um, they had a it, bus for mm-hmm. governors. Okay. They had a bus for cabinet members. They had a bus for foreign dignitaries. By the way, I was there, and right in front of me, like 10 feet away, was uh, 8 feet away, was Black Valenta. Oh. And uh, Prime Minister, uh, uh, not Prime Minister, but uh, Angela Merkel mm-hmm. uh, from uh, from Germany. And uh, a lot of foreign dignitaries. I mean, you know, the world was there. And uh, anyway, I was going to say that I thought Alan Simpson was great. Uh, he was very funny. He's a funny guy. Mm-hmm. He said that Bush was a great guy for picking you up when you were down. He said he was in trouble at some point. And he said Bush had just, you know, presided over the Gulf War and, mm-hmm. you know, the fall of the Berlin Wall. And, 
said his, his rating, his approval rating was at 93%, if I remember that. And um, said my approval rating was at point ninety three. But uh, you know, Bush's Bush's George Herbert Walker Bush's rating was about ninety percent, mm. and nobody thought he would lose reelection. But um, Ross Perot and reversing the pledge on taxes, you know, mm-hmm. cost him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The most moving talk was. Uh, was a, a W. George yeah, w. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, he he he, uh, he was excellent. I, I don't know if you heard, but he held it together till the end, mm-hmm. and then he uh, kind of fell apart. He he had referenced the 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 loss, the Bushes' loss of their daughter Robin, at three years old, when they were a young couple, and that they always talked about Robin, never forgot Robin, mm-hmm. and um, they often talked about how they would see Robin in heaven one day, and then George W. talked about how he. Later in life, always sought Barbara Bush's hand. And when he ended, he talked about, so he's there now, united with his uh, beautiful Robin and holding Barbara's hand. Mm, and mm. that's when he lost. And that's when a lot of the audience, a lot yeah. of the rest of us, <laughs> lost it too. Yeah. Um, but it was um, it was quite quite elegant and quite um, high-minded, beautifully done. The National Cathedral knows how to do it. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. Episcopalians know how to do these high church <laughs> things, you know. Right, right. Just coming out, I, I, I saw people, I just was, you know, grabbing them, and then I got grabbed. And okay. it was Chuck Grassley. Oh. Chairman Grassley of the Judiciary Committee. Okay. And he said, uh, uh, thanks for all the help uh, during the Kavanaugh hearing. I said, <laughs> I didn't do anything. He said, no, I saw you on TV. You were, you were great. I said, hey, that was your committee. You know, you did yeah. a great job wrangling those steers. I mean, I said, my God, what a bunch of unruly people, those Democrats. Well, you know, we, you know, I give them their time. I said, you know, you really did do a good job. I said, I was somewhat critical at first, uh, thinking, you know, why is Chuck Grassley letting these people do this ridiculous Spartacus stuff? And, you know, did you know this? And back into his yearbook, and what were you doing when you were 14 years old? And then I said, the more I thought about it, the more brilliant I thought this was. You let these people reveal themselves, mm-hmm. who they are. And um, that was a great lesson for the country. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, see who these people are. And I said, but, you know, I've admired you for a long time, ever since I came put campaign for you, which you will not remember. <laughs> he said, 31 years ago, Ames, Iowa. Des oh. Iowa. <laughs> got son of a gun. He remembers. He went uh-huh. to the fairgrounds. You campaign for these guys, they don't forget it. You know, wow. it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wow. But wow. a lot of little touching things like that. I saw Dick Cheney and uh, Lynn Cheney. And when they were husband and wife, she was chairman of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Uh, and he was Secretary of Defense. And I used to say, Mer- uh, the world's most powerful couple. Uh, she's chairman of National Endowment for the Humanities. He's Secretary of Defense. Together, they represent the moral and material defense of civilization. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, uh, but it was, uh, it was nice. We rode back in the bus with Mrs. Kemp. And um, we had traffic uh, control. We had uh, a a police escort in front of Mm -hmm. us and behind us, which Mm -hmm. we were all enjoying. Because, as you know, clogged D.C. traffic can be a little frustrating. Yes, it can. (laughs) And then then we realized the bus driver uh, was going the wrong way. (laughs) And people started to protest. And I said, I don't care where he's going. We're moving at 30 miles an hour. Uh Those of you who don't live here, you don't know what a pleasure this is. He can (laughs) take me anywhere he wants. Yeah, you know, you know, it just it's going along Connecticut Avenue at thirty five. Yeah, no, that's right. that's rare. That's rare on a non, you know. But it was a it was a good day and a good event and a, a good man 
Uh, well remembered, you know. I always think of that quote from Virgil. Here too, the honorable finds its due, and there are tears for passing things. Here too, things mortal touch the mind, and um, minds and hearts were touched today. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for being able to share that with us today. Thank you, Clark. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and your friends. We'll catch up next week.